Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another Williams Investment Management podcast. We're recording this on the 31st of March, and we are still aware that there are some horrible things going on uh, in the Ukraine. And uh, I'd like to ask John for an update on how the Ukraine situation is affecting the investment world. John. I don't think anything has changed too, too dramatically. I think we're all aware that the uh, Russian offensive has not gone anywhere near as, as well as, uh, as Putin thought that it would do. And while he keeps lobbing missiles into various places towards the West, I think he's now under pressure to get something out of this misadventure that he can, in inverted commas, sell to the Russian people and call it a success. And I suspect the, the new horizon is a part of the Black Sea coast, probably Mariupol. They would like to join that up to, to the Crimea. And those eastern provinces of the Donbass and Lugansk, and I suspect that is what he now realises is the best that he can probably get out of this. We've still got the issue with energy prices. He's now saying that Europe has to pay in rubles for gas. Whether he actually means that or not, uh, we'll find out probably within the next 48 hours. But on the assumption that Europe doesn't want to pay, then there is going to be a, a short term supply squeeze. So I think energy is going to stay high. Biden released or has, has, has offered plans to uh, release something like a third of the strategic petroleum reserve in the US. And that's going to be done gradually over the next uh, few months. But of course, that can only happen once. I don't think it changes anything really in that the structural background, in, in my view, is that energy is going to continue being expensive. Yes, we've got the Ukraine and the whole Putin situation in the short term, but I don't think that radically changes the situation with regard to energy. Uh, the world is still growing in terms of GDP, especially in Asia. Demand for fossil fuel energy is still there. And uh, it would be prudent, in my opinion, for everyone to get used to a level of energy prices that is going to be substantially higher than it has been over the last few years. I don't believe that the transition to net zero can be achieved on the timelines that have been illustrated. And so high energy prices are going to be here for a while, uh, exacerbated, of course, by what's going on uh, in the Ukraine. Thank you, John. Often in times of stress and strain, people will look at fixed interest investment. Duncan, have you any thoughts uh, about fixed interest investments at the current time? Thank you, In I think the best place to start is what is a fixed interest investment? Uh, there are various names for fixed interest investments. They're often referred to as bonds, not single premium insurance bonds, which is where it gets a bit confused in this country. So it is very simply the debt of either governments or companies, and they have different levels of charges on them. Some of the bonds receive payout in the case of winding up ahead of other creditors. Historically, portfolios have always had an element of uh, fixed interest investment, and that has been the case for many, many years up until the sort of 
20 years ago when different types of asset classes became into play. We have always been mainly equity investors. The bond market has done exceptionally well for the last 40 years or so, and that's because interest rates have dropped from the dizzy heights they were at in the late 70s and early 80s. When yields drop on fixed interest investments, capital values um, improve. However, interest rates now are at a historical low and are starting to rise. That is likely to be bad news for bond investors. Thank you, Duncan. Is anybody else coming in on that subject? The only thing I might add is the fact that a bond, and certainly sovereign bonds in the UK, have always been repaid. It doesn't necessarily make them safe if they're so overvalued that you have locked in to a guaranteed loss of capital and if interest rates go up then that is 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 highly likely to happen or it will happen so it's perfectly possible for an investment to be safe in the sense that you will get some degree of repayment but it doesn't mean that necessarily you will keep capital intact one of my concerns about the fixed interest bond market is the amount of these bonds which are held in cautious managed funds held in multi-asset funds. There are a lot of people who are invested in these type of investments in what are regarded as low-risk investments. And it is possible to argue over the next five years with an unknown amount of inflation coming down the track that some of these so-called low-risk investments might be anything but that. Yeah, it's an example of the one-dimensional delineation of risk. Risk is not just the fact that you are highly likely to have the bond redeemed. If you've paid too much for it, you're going to lose money. And that, to my mind, is not uh, low risk. No, and you've got inflation, which we haven't had for years and years and years. You've got potentially double-digit inflation. I think when we're recording one of these in three, six months' time, the retail price index, it could be double-digit. I think that's highly likely. It's not just the energy situation, but central banks, governments, they've been printing money for a dozen years or more. It's like a soggy pile of leaves that they've been throwing petrol on um, and, and matches, and it took a little while to get going. But of course, now you've got a conflagration, throw on the likes of what's going on in Ukraine, and you've got a real problem now. I think we are looking at stagflation. I think we are going back to the 1970s. And it was all depressingly obvious, but if you look at the statements that have been coming out of the ECB, the Fed, the Bank of England over the past week or so. Uh, have you noticed how they're all saying, oh, yes, inflation is going to be a bit worse than we thought and it's going to stay higher. And of course, the whole situation in the Ukraine is, is, is making this happen. It, it's just a lie. These people had already created this nonsense long before the Ukraine. But due to the fact that most of them haven't a clue what they're doing, they are now hanging their appalling performance uh, they've got already made excuses, what I'm saying, about what's going on in the Ukraine and the whole energy situation. And uh, I saw Lagarde was saying this the other day. It's already made excuse for their incompetence. The ECB is still predicting that inflation is going to be sub 2% in 2023. 
just unbelievable. I think it might be worthwhile, John, if you could just say for the purposes of this recording what exactly stagflation is. I mean, there are a few people who don't get inflation, so they I'm pretty sure they don't get stagflation. It goes back to the 1970s and prior prior to the early 70s when the oil shock came, it was assumed by the economics profession, and I think we need to put spoiler alert, most assumptions by the economic profession are completely wrong, but it was assumed that you could either have inflation, which came from maybe too much growth, or you could have stagnation, which came from too little growth, and that the two of them could not cohabit, as it were. So up until that point, that was the prevailing view. Then along came the the oil shock of 1973. And what happened was not only did we get stagnation, but we actually got double-digit inflation as well. And so the term stagflation is the um, inelegant combination of stagnation and inflation. So it's a portmanteau word. It's a portmanteau word, yes. Did Christine Lagarde invent it, do you think? Because she's French, isn't she? Uh, She is French, yes. And as I was saying earlier, like most economists, she doesn't know very much about economics. When I say economics, I mean real world economics where you actually have to come up with the right answer rather than box tick due to conventional wisdom. In our last podcast, we discussed the acquisition of an independent wealth management business, and we were looking at the trend in this industry. Today, the press tells us that Bruin Dolphin, a publicly quoted uh, stockbroking and wealth management company, had been the subject of a bid from Royal Bank of Canada. What do we think about that in the context of independent advice? Robert, have you any thoughts on that? Uh, Yes, I do. You may or may not know this, Ian, but back in the day when I worked for Kitkat Naken in the city, we were taken over by, guess what, RBC. So the wheel keeps turning and RBC bought Kit Kat Naked for a pretty penny and the partners made uh, a nice turn. They then sold the business, I think, three years later for a pound for the name. So watch this space with regard to Bruin Dolphin. Uh, my money says that the, the press has already talked about redundancies in, in, in that organisation. I think they're going to want their pound of flesh. Why wouldn't you if you were doing that? I just think it's it's typical of what's happening at the moment. The, the, the big guys are swallowing the small guys. And if I could give you just a little tale about uh, a friend of mine who recently sold a, an investment management business to a national player, I'm now finding that he has brought his own account to us, his wife's account to us, the trustees of a trust that they have in their family, they're all coming to us because they're bored stupid of, you know, big player mentality where London dictates what they have to buy and have to sell. And he said, you know, I'm not doing it. So, you know, there you go. I think that's a, 
a good point. I think that there will be further consolidation as time goes by. And I think you have to look at the drivers of the consolidation. And I think part of it is to do with regulation, because regulation is becoming so much more expensive. There is so much more of it. And then there's an example this week where the people who uh, who took advice with regard to their defined benefit British Steel pensions are now subject to um, compensation because the advice was incorrect. That is paid for by the industry, which includes us. So I think consolidation will continue. I think there are a group of people out there who like being part of a big organisation. I'm talking there both about the client advisors and about the clients they they attract. And I can fully understand why people like big businesses. But there are people out there who want to be part of a, a small organisation where they know their advisor, where they, they have met the advisor on many occasions, know his colleagues, can always ring up and speak to somebody who doesn't ask them their egg, inside leg measurement in order to get access to their, their account because they, they know th- the people who operate that business. There's another point as well here, which is that these giant agglomerations uh, usually end up with Uh, London dictating what people buy and sell. People who look after clients become nothing more than customer relationship managers. And uh, certainly in my experience, many people who work in these kind of businesses, they're not what I would call investors. Uh, They simply transmit what what is handed down to them. And it's an automatic process. And, And too many of these people become automatons in our business might be smaller, but we are investors ourselves. And our business has been based upon what we do for ourselves, we do for our clients. We are investors and we uh, eat our own cooking. Uh, No one is telling us what to do. We're not salespeople, we are investors. And in my experience, all too much of the quality of advice that comes out of these kind of agglomerations is just simply not just not good enough and there's an awful lot of box ticking uh, and there's an awful lot of mediocre or worse investment results. John, that's interesting that uh, you say you eat your own cooking because uh, we saw a cartoon recently where somebody wasn't eating their own cooking, they were having a takeaway pizza and the wife is walking into the uh, dining room, her husband's sitting there, she's holding the pizza box and she says, You'll never guess who's delivered the pizzas. It's your independent financial advisor. I shouldn't say this, but I will. But that's probably um, that's probably a step up for some IFAs. <laughs> I've picked up two clients recently and they wanted to know, well, we're obliged to send them a, uh, a list of recommended investments. So I said to them, I'll tell you what, the easiest thing for me is to send you my own portfolio between you, me and the gatepost and you can have a look at it. And, and I said, this is what we buy for clients. There's the occasional off-piste manoeuvre, which I may or may not have regretted. But generally speaking, you know, uh, this is skin in the game and that's worked on both occasions. And they, they all get that. They all say, yeah, well, if it's good enough for you, Mr. Ash, it's good enough for us. There's no doubt about it that people are 
listening to what you've just said, Robert, and we are getting more and more inquiries from people who are disillusioned by uh, by some of the big boys. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I will show you the portfolio that's coming across from a certain major national player, and it's just full of, as John puts, automaton nonsense. And you know perfectly well that the person that actually who's the client thinks is looking after them isn't really looking after them at all. He, he or she is told what to do. They buy X, Y, Z, which often, you know, you, you look at the name, you think, what on earth does that mean? It's a, some sort of convoluted fund name that nobody has no idea ultimately what the investments are. And that's why they're moving. And most importantly, Robert, if you buy Nestle, you're buying into coffee and chocolates and various other things, of course. But you know exactly the product which you are buying into. Agreed. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.